0: O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches a man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile." Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity, until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would have soon settled in silence. If I say, my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense and my rock and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord, our God, shall cut them off. Good stuff. Yeah, the world we're facing right now is kind of a a dark world. And we think, when is this ever going to end? Believe me, it will. The Lord will take care of it. Okay, last week we went through and one of my friends emailed me and he said that was one difficult sermon. I I can't remember the exact word he used, but uh, it was obviously a very depressing sermon. The words of it were brutal in the extreme. And one thing I missed, another one of my friends emailed me, who often does, he's very good at finding Christ in scripture, and he said he talked about the particular part of the sermon where people were told they would eat their own children. And I miss the connection to Christ, and it is right there, and it is as obvious as the nose on your face when it's presented to you. So I thought I'd read that to you so that you can see that Christ made a complete contrast to the people of Israel, if they would just put their faith in him. He says in John chapter 6, I'll start in verse 53, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats this bread will live forever. They had a choice in Israel. You can come and eat of the Son of Man, or you can face the punishments, which included the unthinkable, which we went through last week. I'm so thankful he came up with that and emailed me on it because I hate to have something so obvious not in a sermon that you can at least appreciate when you get back to those mournful words as you get to them again in your daily Bible reading. We are today in Deuteronomy 28 again. We're finishing it up today, and it is verses 62 through 68. It'll take me a a minute to get there because I'm using a different Bible right now. This is Deuteronomy 28, and we're going to start in verse 62. We're going to go to the end of the chapter. (coughs) You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from the face of the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone, And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see and the lord will take you back to egypt in ships by the way of which i said you you shall never see it again and there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves but no one will buy you this is the blessings and the curses part seven in 2003 i went on a trip to israel with my mom we were together with zola levitt ministries Zola was a Messianic Jew and had been on about 70 tour groups by the time we went with him. And because of this, he had things pretty tightened up as to how to make the trip enjoyable, what to see, what not to see, and so on. We enjoyed everything from Dan to Beersheba, down to Elat and over to Petra and Jordan. While in Jerusalem, there were many nice sights to see. It was during the second Intifada, and people thought we were stupid for going. While in Jerusalem, we had lunch on a hill overlooking the city. I fell asleep on the grass, and Zola took a photo of me napping with the city in the distance. That made the cover of his next month's publication. It was a selling point for those who might have thought you could get shot while touring Israel. That just wasn't likely. While in Jerusalem, Zola took us to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial on Mount Herzl, which is the Mount of Remembrance. It was certainly a moving place to be, and they made sure that all who went through it would feel that way. Israel wants the world to never forget what happened to them, but Israel has yet to acknowledge why those things happened to them. Our text verse comes from Jeremiah 32. Now, therefore... Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger in my fury and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart, with all my soul. A Jewish guy that a friend of mine knows watched some of the sermons I have done. Eventually, he told her, I will never watch one of his sermons again. He said that I blamed Israel for what happened to them in the Holocaust. I've never directly said that, but I have implied it many times. They don't need my opinion on this. All they need to do is read Leviticus 26, where the Lord speaks in the first person, or Deuteronomy 28, where Moses speaks of the Lord in the third person, to know that if they had been obedient to the Lord, None of the woes of their past would have come upon them, none of them, including the Holocaust. When mom and I walked out of Yad Vashem, I turned to her and I said, the only thing that is missing in this place is a copy of Deuteronomy 28 posted in every language where the Jews were driven to. As sad as the Holocaust was, it was a self-inflicted wound for having rejected the Lord their God. It is true that man certainly took things too far, just as the Babylonians did millennia earlier, but there would have been no first exile nor a second exile, along with the resulting punishments, if Israel had done what the Lord expected of them. And sadly, what happened to them in the Holocaust will be overshadowed by what the Word says is still to come upon them. If you want to know what I mean, your next reading assignment is Zechariah 13, verse 8. But good news immediately follows that coming in Zechariah 13, verse 9. The blessings and the curses. Israel was given the choice. It was carefully laid out for them in advance. And everything that Moses prophesied has come to pass. And it is all because they failed to know the time of their visitation. The terrible woes to come upon Israel as prophesied in Deuteronomy 28 will be completed in our sermon today. But the terrible woes to come upon Israel will continue into the future until that day when they as a nation finally call out to Jesus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Certain truths such as these are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got just two thoughts for you today. The first is to destroy you and to bring you to nothing. It is verses 62 and 63. Verse 62, you shall be left few in number. Venish artem b'imte me'at. And you, all, plural, shall remain in persons few. With the exception of one instance in verse 14, Deuteronomy 28 has spoken to the people in the singular consistently up until this point. Now, and in the next clause of this verse, it goes to the plural, you all. As far as the content, the words are a close repeat of Deuteronomy 4.27, where Moses also uses the plural. There he says, and the Lord will scatter you, meaning you all, among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. In this verse, however, the New King James Version omits the word and that begins it. The words are actually a continuation of what has been said, and they speak of the result of those previous verses. Here's what it said last week. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book of the law, will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed, and you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. It is the plagues, sicknesses, and diseases noted in the previous verses that will result in the diminution of their numbers. The use of the plural adds emphasis to the content. Instead of, and you, Israel, shall be left few in number, it says, and you all shall be left few in number. You see how careful Moses is choosing his words. The plural continues with these words. Verse 62 going on, Whereas you, you all, were as of the stars of heaven in multitude. Tachat asher Heatem ke ha Under which you all, plural, were as stars the heavens to multitude. Again, the plural adds emphasis. After the many, many verses of it being in the singular, Moses uses the plural to speak forth the magnitude of the resulting catastrophe that will come upon the people. It says earlier, And you all shall be left few in number, whereas you all were as the stars of heaven in multitude. With that noted, he again provides the exact reason that this will come about, saying, verse 62 continues, Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord, your God. For no you, singular, Israel. For no you would hear, meaning hearken to, in voice, Jehovah your singular, you Israel, God. In essence, Moses is calling down the collective curse upon the people, both as individuals and as a nation. The two are essentially inseparable. If America is to be judged for its wrongdoing, all of the people will suffer. It is not as if the Lord will separate the faithful from the unfaithful when the nuke detonates over New York City or when the plague falls upon the land. Rather, all will participate in the tragedy of the events. With this stated, we cannot go far from the truth that Jesus came to take Israel's punishment upon himself. The nation transgressed. And yet the punishment of the sins of Israel could ostensibly have been carried by him. This would include the sins of each person and the sins of the nation collectively. In relation to him, each person who accepts him, we'll say Peter or Paul, for example, is forgiven. But the guilt of the nation remains. If you're following in the Acts commentaries right now, you can see that very clearly. The guilt of the nation remains, even though Peter is saved Paul is saved, and anybody else that comes to Christ is saved. Hence, exile and punishment came upon all. The idea of being few in number is probably twofold in significance. First, it is that there will be but a few left in the land at any given time, but also that the whole will be reduced to a few as well. As far as the first premise, during the Babylonian exile, that is recorded in Jeremiah 39.10, but Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah the poor people who had nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. It is also true of the number who were exiled. The total of Israel was reduced to a tiny number compared to those who were, as it said in 1 Kings 4 at the time of Solomon, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines. As far as the border of Egypt, they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Whether the term stars of the heavens or the term sand by the sea, the number was immense. Eventually, through war, pestilence, and exile, the number was reduced to a paltry few souls. The same is true at the time of the Roman exile. After the Babylonian exile, the people returned to the land and they grew in number once again. However, John Gill notes the sad details of their reduction in number when the Romans came. He says how much they were reduced by the Romans will appear by the accounts Josephus gives of those that were slain and made prisoners by them. He says there were 1,100,000 slain. At the siege of Jerusalem and by the war, and 97,000 made prisoners. And it is computed that 1,240,490 were destroyed in Jerusalem and other parts of the nation. And it is also said by their historian that of those that were transported from Jerusalem and other parts of Palestine into Spain, scarce a thousandth part remained. And that an infinite number were slain in France and Germany. And though their number equaled those that came out of Egypt, yet scarce 5,000 of them were left. This is how it was. And this is how it continues to be for Israel. The people belong to the whole and the many will collectively be reduced within the nation until the nation collectively turns to Christ. This will remain unchanged. With that understood, Moses continues with the words of tragedy. Verse 63, and it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you, and it shall be according to which has delighted over you, plural. As you can see, the plural continues. Moses acknowledges that the Lord rejoices over each and every soul. It is as if the Lord looks down from heaven and sees the masses and rejoices over them all together and individually at the same time. In this, Moses introduces a new word, sus. It means to be glad, rejoice, make mirth, and so on. There is the sense of gladness in the Lord that is being delightfully expressed, which is, verse 63 continues, to do you good and multiply you. Lehativ etchem uleharbot etchem, to do good you all and to multiply you all. In the obedience of the nation, the Lord rejoices to do good to all of the people individually. One can almost see Moses raising his hands and sweeping them across the people and then pointing at individuals in rapid succession. This is what the Lord will do for you all. You, 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 and you over there as well. However, in their disobedience, another course will be set for them. Verse 63 going on so that the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. Ken Yasis Yehovah Thus, will delight Yehovah over you all to cause to perish you all and to destroy you all. The contrast is complete. Yehovah delighted to do you good and to multiply you when you were faithful. Just so, Jehovah will delight over you to cause you to perish and to destroy you when you are faithless. Of this verse, John Lang rightly says it is a bold anthropomorphic figure, but spoken from the profoundest view of the truth, since righteousness on the basis of his holiness as his mercy, according to his love, is in full accordance with the nature of God. As he is glorious, so also he is fearful. This is now the seventh and final use of the word shamad or destroyed that is found in Deuteronomy 28. It will continue to be seen in scripture, but repeating the word seven times brings its own sense of completeness and finality to the words. As we have seen, and it is now repeated, this doesn't mean to destroy utterly. Israel continued to exist and they continue to exist, but the people have been destroyed along the way, though using different words to express the thought. What is stated here is certainly reflective of what it said about Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 53. The Lord delighted to bring his destruction upon Israel, but it also pleased the Lord to do so in Christ in their stead. It says there, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God in Christ was willing to take what Israel rightly deserved upon himself in order to redeem them from their transgressions that were committed under the law. However, as for Israel in their destruction, Moses next says, verse 63 continues, and you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. The words now go from the plural Back to the singular. And you all, plural, shall be plucked from off the land which you, Israel, singular, go to possess. Here it more appropriately reads the ground. Those who come to Canaan would go in to possess their own plot. But like a tree being pulled up, so would those who once went to sink down their roots. And this is a new word, nasak. It means to destroy, pluck, or uproot. Coming from a root meaning to tear away. It will be used once by David in Psalm 52, and then only two more times by Solomon in the Proverbs. So, literally was this fulfilled that John Gill records these words as a part of the historical record of the Jews. Here's what he says. The Emperor Adrian, to prevent their insurrections and rebellions, which had given him a great deal of trouble, ordered by an edict that no Jew should come into Jerusalem nor into the land of Judea or be seen in it which is observed by several writers, but which means the country was cleared of them. In later times, some of them did get hither again, but they were but few. Benjamin of Tudela, a Jew of the 12th century, traveled into several parts of the world in quest of his countrymen, and particularly into Judea, and his view was to magnify his people. And yet owns he found at Jerusalem only 200 persons whose employment was dying wool and dwelt in a corner of the town under the Tower of David, and but 12 at Bethlehem, three in Marishah, at Shunem, indeed 300, not at Gilead, two at Nov, who were dyers, three at Ramah, one at Joppa, none at Japhne, where had been a famous academy— none at Ashdod, and at Tiberias, about 50. And our countryman Sandys, who traveled into Judea in the 17th century, says, here be some Jews, yet inherit they no part of the land, but in their own country do live as aliens. So, at any given time, there were from no Jews at all to less than a thousand in the entire land. And even while there, they were counted as foreigners. This lowly state continued right up until the Zionist movement began, and the Jews once again started to fill the land. As for a parallel in Christ, again, though the Hebrew words used are different, the same sentiment is spoken of concerning him in Isaiah chapter 53. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people." Was stricken. Israel was to be removed from their land due to disobedience, but Christ was to be removed from any type of land in their place. The trade was offered, and to this day it still stands. Only when the exchange is accepted will there be surety for them. As for being uprooted, Moses next tells what the consequences of that will be for them, as we will see in a minute. If only you will heed the voice of the Lord your God. If only you will do what that voice calls out to you, but like animals being conducted with a cattle prod, so you will be treated for what you failed to do. The Lord has given the word in advance, and Moses has spoken the word out to you. This word will not fail. Of this, there is no chance. The Lord will set forth all he has promised to do. He will provide the blessing when you heed the word, and surely will come the curses when you fail to heed. So be diligent to do all that you have heard, or the Lord will destroy you, and he will do so with speed. Our second thought today, your life shall hang in doubt before you. It's verses 64 through 68. Verse 64, then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples. The words of this verse are all in the singular, you, Israel. In this clause, it is more specific, all the peoples, In other words, the distinction is being made between Israel and all the peoples. They are completely set apart from them, even if they are dwelling among them. And how true that has been, and how true it remains even to this day. They dwell throughout the United States, even as citizens, but they remain Jews. Such is true wherever they have gone. They have stubbornly held on to their identity, not only among all the people, but throughout the millennia among all the peoples. Even, verse 64 continues, from one end of the earth to the other. Mikseh aretz ve'ad ketseha aretz, From end the earth and as far as end the earth. This has been literally fulfilled as Jews have been spread to every possible place where man dwells. Synagogues exist in remote China and in Budapest. They are found on remote islands of Tunisia, and in India. They are found as far north as Fairbanks, Alaska, and Trodheim in Norway, and they are found as far south as Dunedin in New Zealand. Jews have been dispersed like the dust blown off of the Sahara Desert, encompassing the world, and just as easily removed once again and scattered further still. It is without controversy that the prophecy of Moses as he sat in the plains of Moab near the Jordan River has been literally fulfilled. Looking at it in this light and considering that it was spoken concerning Israel's disobedience, it is actually a mark of shame upon them rather than something to be boasted of. Consider the parallel noted in the previous verse. Like Israel being removed from the land which typifies life, Christ was removed from the land of the living, The parallel continues in that Israel was prophesied to be returned to their land, just as it was prophesied that Christ would return from that place where no one could have ever imagined anyone would ever return from again. Moses, in just two more chapters, shows that it would be the same for Israel. Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, And you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord, your God drives you. And you return to the Lord, your God and obey his voice. According to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord, your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord, your God has scattered you. And if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven From there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Likewise, Isaiah, in the same passage where he spoke of Christ's death, also spoke of Christ's return from death. After the anguish of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. That's Isaiah 53, from the BSB. Even from the remotest parts of the world, the Lord has and continues to bring the people back to the land where they may live. And just so, Christ was brought back from the remotest place a human could imagine going—back to the land where he may live. As for Israel and their land of exile, Moses tells them of their state in such places. Verse 64 continues, and there you shall serve other gods. Some scholars say this can't be confirmed. They haven't looked very closely. The words Elohim Acharim or God's other, mean any god other than the Lord God— if they were serving the Lord God, they wouldn't be in exile. Moses then further defines what he means by saying, verse 64 going on, which neither you nor your fathers have known. This is obviously referring to serving the Lord God. Even though Israel and the land served innumerable gods other than the Lord, causing them to be exiled, this is not referring to them. It is referring to any gods out among the nations that the Jews have served today If you go into many Jewish homes, you'll find statues of Buddha and Krishna and other gods. Of these and many others, they are, verse 64 continues, wood and stone. Along with all of the other false gods the Jews have served around the world, John Gill tells of the false gods of Roman Catholicism that they have gone after. Listen to this. The author of the history of their calamities and sufferings owns this. Multitudes, he says, in Spain and Portugal forsook the law of Moses and joined the papists, pretending at least to be of their religion. He makes mention of 16,000 at one time, and some, he say, that were driven out of Spain came into Italy, where the young men pressed with famine could not bear it, and changed their religion and began to worship images that they might have to satisfy their hunger. And the papists used to go about with the crucifix in one hand, And a piece of bread in the other, promising the bread to those that would worship the crucifix. And so many famishing persons forsook the law of Moses and mixed with them. And to this day, the convents of monks and nuns in Spain are full of them. And most of their canons, inquisitors, and bishops are Jews. In this, there is a complete contrast to Jesus in his exile from the land of the living. The book of Jonah while he was in the belly of the fish, prophetically refers to the time when Christ was in the tomb. In that state, it says this, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Now, if you don't know the parallel, go watch the Jonah sermons and you will see it. It's very clear. The time in the belly of the fish is Christ's time in the tomb. Just so you can remember that, go watch those sermons. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. O oh, Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. In death and through death, in exile from the land of the living, Christ remained faithful to the Lord God. The wooden stone the Jews have served have no life. They cannot sense anything. As such, they cannot hear prayer and they cannot deliver from the place of distress. But the Lord God, whom Christ remained faithful to, can hear. And he did deliver. The contrast is complete. For Israel in exile, Moses continues. Verse 65. And among those nations you shall find no rest. The words of this verse are all in the singular. You, Israel. Despite this, it can just as easily refer to an individual who belongs to Israel. If he is the only Israel in the land, then he represents the nation to whom he belongs. Does everybody remember that just until a few weeks ago, there was one Jew left in all of Afghanistan? Everybody remember that? I brought him up in several of our reports One Jew left in the entire nation, and he kept the synagogue going. So he was Israel in that land. That's the point I'm making here. If there's a lot of them or if there's only one, he is Israel in that land. All right. He finally left just a few weeks ago after almost 2,000 years in that land. In this verse, Moses pulled out his lexicon in order to bestow upon us several new or rare words. The first is ragah. It is a verb meaning to disturb. Thus, it is used figuratively to signify settling. Israel would remain unsettled anywhere they went. They would always be in a state of being upheaved and moved along. When I was young, we used to go on vacation to a remote part of Massachusetts. There was a Jewish couple that lived there. Mom, do you remember their name? Dad, I know he does. Anybody remember their name for my family? Okay, he does. This Jewish couple lived there. When I was with my aunt driving one day, she saw them walking down the road, and she said twice they had to get up and leave the food on the table and flee for their lives. This is the idea of the words Moses now gives. It was literally fulfilled in that old couple on the mountain. Moses next says, verse 65 continues, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. Here, Moses uses a word, manoach, Seen only once so far in Genesis 8 verse 9 where it says, But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. It is exactly translated resting place. Wherever Israel's foot comes down, it will be as if there is a thorn or hot coals there prodding it to move along hurriedly. Along with that, Moses says, verse 65 going on, But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul rather than but the word simply says and there will be no resting place for the sole of the foot and along with that would come added calamities of them moses introduces three very rare words the first is ragaz it is an adjective occurring only this once it comes from the verb ragaz meaning to quake or to tremble thus trembling heart is correct There would never cease to be a time when the heart wouldn't feel as if it might simply explode from the fear of the moment or from the constant motion of the foot. Next, he uses the word kilayon. It is a noun signifying pining or failing. It is found only here and in Isaiah 10, verse 22. The idea is probably that the eyes would become weak from looking for a spot to rest or looking for the salvation of a Messiah. Not realizing that the Messiah had already come. And they had rejected him. Along with that, Moses uses the word deavon. It is a noun found only here, meaning faintness or languishing. Combined with the word nephesh or soul, it means that the very force which impels the person would be so worn out that there would be no desire to even continue on. It is the weariness of the person that would choose death if it would just come and end the misery. The words here are not unlike those that the lord spoke forth in leviticus 26. here the lord said as for those of you who are left i will make their hearts so fearful in the lands of their enemies that the sound of a wind-blown leaf will put them to flight they will run as though fleeing from the sword and they will fall even though no one is pursuing them israel is the transgressor it is he who failed to honor and serve the lord and his soul suffered because of his failings. But the Lord had come to take away their sin. While they were looking for a hero to exalt them among the nations, he came to restore them to his Father. Instead of being exalted among the nations, they were abased among them, and they remained in their sin. But Christ came to refresh their souls through the pouring out of his own for them. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied and will become your life, hang to you from before. Again, Moses introduces a new word, "tala." It is a verb meaning to hang. It is found only here and in Hosea 11, verse 7. Figuratively, it signifies uncertainty. The words are obvious when considered. It will be as if nothing can be trusted from moment to moment. Each moment is one of doubt, and the next will be as well. No matter what one attempts in order to provide a state of constancy, there will always be nothing but fear of life. This state will then continue 24 hours a day. Verse 66 going on, you shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. u le'la ve'yomam ve'lo ta'amin And you shall fear night and day, and know you have assurance in life. Another new word is given, pachad. It is a verb meaning to dread. These words further define the previous clause. The life of Israel hangs before it in doubt. As such, there is dread at all times, throughout the night and throughout the day. There is never a time when life will seem secure. It is as if the entire nation is a soldier on a battlefield with bombs, falling nearby constantly. There is never a moment where the fear of the next one maybe being it is over. Life, its continuance, has no foothold or surety at all. The sword of Damocles is always present. Of this verse, Martin Luther says, I have never seen a passage which describes more clearly the misery of a guilty conscience in words and thoughts so fitting and appropriate. For this is just the way in which a man is affected, who knows that God is offended, for example, who is harassed with the consciousness of sin. This is a right analogy, and it calls into focus the words of the first clause, your life shall hang in doubt before you. Israel rejected Christ, the crucified Savior. The knowledge of this event is known to them, and somewhere in the back of their minds, they have pieced it together. They understand the symbolism of their writings and the thought of their sin before God lingers because their sin hung before them on a cross. If only they will acknowledge it. But in not believing him, it is their life that hangs in doubt. And because of this, verse 67, in the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning. Properly translated, it reads, in the morning you will say, who will give me evening? And in the evening, you will say, who will give me morning? It is as if a petition to God, but the Lord is left out of the conversation. In other words, instead of appealing to the Lord, Israel stubbornly asks for anyone to help but the Lord. It is reflective of the words of Amos 6, verse 10. Hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. The Lord hangs before them, Their consciences intuitively know this, and yet they will call out in any direction except his. And their cry is, verse 67 going on, because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. One can think of the most recent example set before the world, that of the Holocaust. The Jews of Europe faced everything that has been presented in the verses today. They begged for day during the night, and they begged for night during the day. The things they experienced brought them dread in their hearts and what they saw brought terror to their eyes. Moses spoke out the words of terror and horror that would come upon the people. They are, meaning the law is, a mirror for them to behold. Its words direct their actions and the resulting horrors back upon themselves. Verse 68, and the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. It is the highest disgrace of all. Not only is it exile from the land, but it is exile back to the very place from which they had been redeemed. They walked out of Egypt as a free people, led by the Lord. But the Lord himself will take them back in ships, meaning as slaves, as a people cursed of the Lord. And this will be, verse 68 continues, by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. It says, in the way I said, to you. One could assume that this is referring to not returning to Egypt, as was seen in Deuteronomy 17. Here's what it said there. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. However, I would argue that this is speaking not of actually returning to Egypt. It is speaking of the state of slavery. Rather than, you shall not return that way again, meaning going back to Egypt, Moses now speaks of the way, saying, you shall never see it again. Israel is being returned to something by the Lord, and it is in ships. Thus, they are bound as slaves. As real slaves, according to Josephus, this was fulfilled under Titus. But without the law and without Christ, this has also spiritually been fulfilled in Israel. The law gave them the day of atonement. Christ is the fulfillment of that outside of the land. And without Christ, there is no atonement. And thus the people are literally slaves to sin. Here's what Jesus said about that. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. And have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This is what is being conveyed. Egypt is only a type of the true bondage that man suffers under. The bondage of sin. As for the literal fulfillment of this, Moses next says, verse 68 finishes with, And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. The translation is incorrect. It says, And you shall sell yourselves there. It is in the plural, and it is the action of the people themselves. In other words, it is a petition to be sold into bondage just so that they could have a master over them in order to eat and have a place to sleep. But it says that for Israel, they ain't and no buying. For their physical bodies, none would be interested. And for their spiritual selves, there is none to redeem. They had rejected the Lord, and because of their sin, the devil is their owner. With these words, one of the most mournful passages of all of Scripture comes to a close. What makes it so much the case is that it explains everything, everything in advance. There's nothing that was hidden from them. The choice for obedience and blessing or disobedience and cursing rested solely with Israel. The Lord set the two before them through Moses, and whatever resulted is solely the responsibility of Israel. But let none of us be smug and what has come upon them. They are simply a template of what will come upon each one of us. We can come to the Lord and be saved, or we will remain in the bonds of sin and death that he came to destroy. And just as the Lord has faithfully kept Israel, even through their destruction, so he will keep any whom he redeems. Before I go on, it's a verse I always mention in the Thursday night Bible study. I bet you I say it every week. I'll say it to you now so that you can remember this. Remember this. Remember this. We are in bondage to sin because we have earned that bondage. The wages of sin is death. We are in that bondage because we have sin in our lives. And Christ came to die for our sins. Everybody agree with that? Okay. But we do wrong things after we're saved, aren't we? So what does that mean? Are we going to lose our salvation? No. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. Everybody remember that verse. We are no longer imputed sin because of Christ Jesus. Not only are we forgiven of our sins, but we are no longer imputed sin. We can no longer be accounted for sin is what that means. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are protected from the imputation of sin. You can never, ever lose your salvation just as God has kept Israel through all of their wanderings and through all of their failings. Because he is faithful, he will keep you saved forever without the imputation of sin. Because the next couple verses go on to say that Christ became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Remember those verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21. All right. We can come to the Lord and be saved, or we will remain in the bonds of sin and death that he came to destroy. And just as the Lord has faithfully kept Israel, even through their destruction, so he will keep any whom he redeems. Thank God for his faithfulness to unfaithful Israel, and thank God for his faithfulness to us. He is a great and wonderful God who has set us free from our bonds. Yes, thank God for his tender mercies. Yes, Thank God for Jesus. I came to you with nothing, only buckets of my sins. You stretched your arms around me and you said, welcome in. I cried for forgiveness. You wiped my tears away. You emptied all the buckets. When I called upon your name, you told me that I'm loved. You told me this is my home. You told me I'm forgiven. I'm no longer alone. You told me live in peace. You told me I'm the Christ. I'm the price for your sins and your everlasting life. I carry now the buckets no longer full of sins, but full of living water, of mercies flowing in. I see other people carrying buckets of despair, but mine are full of forgiveness and good news to be shared my friend Isabella Bednara wrote that. Thank you, Isabella. Our closing verse comes from Romans 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Next week is Luke 1, 26 through 38. A marvelous thing God will do. It's entitled, The Power of the Highest Will Overshadow You. That'll be your 2021 Christmas sermon. Yes, it's a day late for Christmas, but I do everything and, you know, a yeah, a day late. So it's okay. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you, but he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay. All right. Now I have a question to ask you and I've got a special gift to give you if you get this. And I was asked, please don't make the question too hard so that nobody gets it. And please make the question easy enough where somebody will get it. And that's hard to do, okay? But I tried. And that was at the request of Claudia, who actually made this. And she wanted whoever gets the question to get this. So she made this from Claudia. Okay? So here we go. We're going to put that back. And you have to get this question. I do think that somebody will be able to get it if you just remember your Bible, okay? Yup. Okay. What division of the priests was Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, from? What? Not Levi. What division of the priests... The priests are Levites, but there were 24 divisions, and Luke made very careful to mention the division that he was from. What? Who said it? What is it? I'll give you a hint. It begins with A. Not Aaronic. That's the priestly class. The division of the priestly class. The next letter is B. Abraham. <laughs> Abit- 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 Can't say it, sorry. ABI. Abiatar. Abi-, Abi-, Abi normal. Abi, Abi-, Abi- normal. Abi- 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 I almost said when she said that I almost said that. Abi- 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 no, not athar That's Old Testament. I mean, this is an Old Testament name. A-B-I- J. ABIJ. Abijah. A-B-I-J. Okay, you get it. That's it. That took a while. Now that's really important for understanding when Jesus was born. If you know the name Abijah, if you go to that in the New Testament, that will give you all of the information you need to now determine when Jesus was born, okay? I'll give you two clues. First is it was not on 25 December. The second clue is that 25 December has something important about it. In next week's sermon, we'll talk about it, okay? So there you go. You get it. It took a while. Claudia, is she still here? Yep. Oh, there you are. Okay, it took a while, but I made it easy for him, didn't I? (laughs) All right, here we go. We got a poem, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. This is entitled The Blessings and the Curses, and it's part seven. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as of the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Such was your attitude. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you... To do you good and multiply you, so to you I address. So the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, so you will dwell alone. And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest. Nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul there in your disgrace. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. So I give you this warning. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart, so shall it be. And because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships, by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. Thus it is true. There you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the many blessings that are found in Christ Jesus. And thank you that he did every single thing, the curses that came upon Israel. He offered or fulfilled in himself every one of those things in exchange for what they faced, if they would have just accepted it. And that is true with us as well, Lord. We're set for the same fate of being cast off from your presence if we do not pay heed. But in Christ, there is redemption, and in Christ, there is salvation, and in Christ, there is glory to come. Thank you for Jesus Christ who, who promises that to us. And Lord, thank you that that is still open to the nation of Israel to this day, and that someday it will come to pass, because your word says it will. Thank you for the surety we have in this wonderful word which provides redemption even for your wayward people, Israel. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray, amen. Amen.